0: Earlier this week, the World Health Organization warned that a mosquito-borne viral disease known as Zika was fast-spreading throughout the Americas. That includes the United States, which it will likely reach sooner rather than later. Zika is rarely deadly, but it can cause some severe birth defects should a pregnant woman contract the disease when bit by a mosquito. And already in Brazil, we are seeing a large number of these defects, which include something called microcephaly, basically an infant born with a small head. Zika is among a category of diseases that are called neglected tropical diseases, and they are neglected largely because they have historically only affected the poorest people on the planet. But now one of these so-called NTDs is fast spreading in middle-income and wealthy countries, and now we are poised for a public health crisis. On the line to discuss Zika and its larger public health implications is one of the world's leading experts in neglected tropical diseases, Dr. Peter Hotez. He is the dean for the National School of Tropical Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, the endowed chair in tropical pediatrics at Texas Children's Hospital, and president of the Sabin Vaccine Institute, the work of which we discuss in this conversation. This is an absolutely fascinating discussion about a topic that is clearly on many people's radars right now. We discuss how and why this disease is spreading, the lessons drawn from the Ebola outbreak that can be applied to this situation, and how poverty and inequality in the USA might exacerbate the Zika outbreak. Just a quick note before we start, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. Go to GlobalDispatchesPodcast.com to check out our archives, get in touch with me. You can also download our free app, which is probably the easiest way to access previous episodes and not miss any future episodes. So go to GlobalDispatchesPodcast.com to check that out. And now here is my conversation with Dr. Peter Hotez. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
1: We don't know why Zika virus is becoming more prevalent. It, you know, emerged out of Africa during the 1950s. It was probably understudied, but we only knew about a dozen or so cases. And then at some point about a decade ago, it moved into the Pacific into Micronesia including the island of Yap where it infected 75% of the population then it moved across the Pacific into French Polynesia into Tahiti where there were 28,000 cases and from there into Easter Island off the Pacific coast of Chile uh where it caused infections and then presumably it jumped into uh, the Latin America, and then it really spread dramatically where there was, there have been more than a million cases in Brazil. There's been about 700,000 cases in Colombia now. And now, of course, it's, uh, the virus is moving into the Caribbean where it seems to be, uh, affecting a, a, a new island, uh, every week or so. So my prediction is that if it isn't already in every Caribbean, in every Caribbean country, it probably will be by the end of February.
0: By the end of February, that's that's yeah. very soon. Uh, could you discuss a, a little bit uh, about you know why this is concerning from a, a public health standpoint?
1: So Zika virus, in uh, many people, causes no symptoms at all. Uh, in fact, some people, some there's some evidence to suggest four out of five people do not have any symptoms. Uh, but remember, this is still not based on the published literature, and we'll talk about the problem with disseminating science communication information in a minute, but uh, from what we can tell, only maybe one in five or one in four people even have any symptoms at all, and that's typically like we see with other arbovirus infections, other virus infections transmitted by mosquitoes, meaning a rash, uh, uh, headache, pain behind the eyes uh and fever uh and then a subset of people we don't know how big or how small a subset also goes on to develop uh, an immune reaction linked to a neurological disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome where you can have some degree of paralysis and uh which is most of the times is reversible as well as uh, tingling skin sensations Uh, and we're trying to understand what percentage of the patients who are infected with Zika go on to develop Guillain-Barré, so that's that's when it strikes uh, uh, an older child or an adult. The big problem that we're seeing with Zika, of course, is that it's uh, when it infects a woman in pregnancy, probably early in pregnancy, it's passing to the unborn child and causing a very severe congenital birth defect, uh, and that's known as microcephaly, right? That's microcephaly, right, which means a head circumference, which is two or three standard deviations below the mean, so a small head size but also abnormal brain development. So we've now seen some ultrasound pictures of babies with microcephaly from Zika, and it's associated with a lot of structural defects in the brain, which uh, make us think that these kids will be could be quite mentally disabled as they grow.
0: Um, so it seems that some governments in Latin America, and the Caribbean, I believe Jamaica and El Salvador in particular, seem to think that like an optimal or at least inappropriate public policy response to the the problem of pregnant women contracting the disease and giving birth to children with microcephaly is to advise women not to get pregnant. That just strikes me as as not um, very logical uh, I'm, I'm wondering sort of what you think of of that uh, policy response
1: well i haven't been able to talk to any of the leaderships in the health ministries of those countries and and what what the basis for that recommendation is I'm guessing what they're thinking is that this virus is spreading rapidly through the population and that within a year or two, everyone will have been infected or most people have been infected. They'll mount an antibody response to it. And therefore if uh, the the population in two years time uh, will be much less vulnerable to new Zika infections. So that's probably what's underlying it. Um, But again, we don't, have a lot of evidence uh, about Zika virus being so uh, understudied, but you can sympathize with their position too because places like el salvador dominican republic these are these are relatively depleted countries in terms of health systems uh, infrastructure so so it's as it is dealing with the epidemic infections and the endemic infections that they have, like dengue, et cetera, they're already struggling with. So for instance, El Salvador is dealing with the terrible, uh, uh, chronic renal disease that's affecting the sugar plantation workers that may be related to a new infectious agent, and they're already struggling with that. Now you throw this on top of it, it could really, it could help to promote the collapse of the health system. So, uh, you will, one has to have great sympathy for the leadership who have to make these very difficult decisions.
0: So that kind of leads me into to another question I've I've been sort of mulling over. So, uh, earlier this week, PAHO, the Pan American Health Organization, uh, warned that the uh, Zika will almost certainly spread everywhere in North America except Canada and Chile, which are places where the mosquito that carries the virus just, just can't can't go to, um can't can't exist. But you know, so you said that by the end of February, Zika will have spread throughout the Caribbean. Is it likely that by this summer, you know, most of the southern United States? will have Zika outbreaks
1: as well? Well, we don't know. Um, You know, I I think there's a real possibility, uh, and we can go into the weeds of where the particularly vulnerable areas are. But, you know, for instance, we we saw with chikungunya virus, which is a virus that's also transmitted by mosquitoes and causes a rash and, and also very bad arthralgias, which are joint pains that this was introduced into St. Martin uh, in the Caribbean at the end of 2013, and it also quickly spread across Caribbean, Caribbean Latin America. But we've not had a gain of foot. We've not had a gain of foothold in North America, even though the mosquitoes are there. So maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, the problem that we have with uh, potentially a Zika outbreak in uh, in the United States or anywhere else is... That because so many people are without symptoms, they're asymptomatic, if you're wrong or right about Zika virus, you really won't know the answer nine months from now. Uh, and if you're wrong, nine months from now you could start seeing babies show up in labor and delivery suites and obstetrical wards with microcephaly. And then there's, and that would be an absolute public health disaster and a socioeconomic disaster. So I think what has, to, what one has to do is anticipate the worst and then implement public health preparedness and then possibly back off if it turns out not to be a problem. So I think this is particularly true on the Gulf Coast of the United States, where we not only have one species of Aedes mosquitoes that can transmit it, but two. Uh, That's one problem. And the second reason I think the Gulf Coast of the U.S. is particularly vulnerable is another factor that not many people are talking about, and that's poverty, especially Mm -hmm. extreme poverty. So one of the reasons why Pernambuco state in Brazil and northeastern Brazil has been hit so hard is a large percentage of poor people who are exposed to mosquitoes because of absent window screen, inadequate housing, environmental degradation allows mosquitoes to proliferate. Uh, So that's one of the reasons Mm it's getting hit hard there. I think, for instance, Haiti is extremely vulnerable to... Uh, Zika virus. And we already know it's in Haiti. It, there's been five reported cases in Port-au-Prince. If it takes off in Haiti, I think we could be looking at a terrible catastrophe nine months from now, uh, on Haiti, maybe in other poor areas of Jamaica and the Caribbean. And guess what? We have very, we have poor people on the Gulf Coast of the U.S. So I can drive through, you know, parts of the poor areas of Houston, Texas, and show you dilapidated housing with no windows or window screen, without window screens or no air conditioning. I can show you standing water. I can show you environmental degradation. I can show you discarded tires along the side of the road filled with water. It looks like the global health movie you show to the first year public health students or medical students, but it's here in Houston, Texas. So we have a level of extreme poverty in the Gulf Coast, together with the mosquitoes that make those areas vulnerable.
0: And and I know you've written about this extensively in the- Past how you know tropical medicine, your specialty, you know, th- these are diseases of the poor, um, right. and, and um, it's interesting that inequality, what you say, that inequality in the United States may even exacerbate the, um, the, the, the consequences of, of the Zika outbreak.
1: That's right, that's right. So, we have 20 million Americans in the U.S. that live below the poverty line. We have 1.65 million families that live on less than $2 a day, according to the University of Michigan Center of Poverty. Um, it's oftentimes hidden poverty, but it's there. And, uh, and we now estimate that there are 12 million Americans uh, living with a neglected tropical disease in the U.S., and now we're going to add Zika on top of that. So I'm very concerned. Um,
0: I I do wonder, though, if Zika does um, gain that that foothold in the United States, if you might see um, more acceleration towards the development of like a vaccine or other remedies uh, that might prevent um, that, that might prevent the virus that might also potentially be distributed around the world at some point.
1: Ideally, yes, but unfortunately, we have failed policies and mechanisms when it comes to making vaccines for neglected tropical diseases. and And we saw this with the Ebola virus, right? The vaccine to make the the technology to make the Ebola virus vaccine was published as far back as two thousand and three. Uh, when you go back to the biomedical literature, but it sat there for more than a decade because the model says the business model says you develop it in an academic research institute or the NIH and then you wait to license it to a big pharmaceutical company, and the problem was uh, the major multinational pharmaceutical companies weren 't biting because this is a neglected tropical disease they did not envision a market for it, so it was only uh, eleven years later when there were when Ebola was declared a public health emergency, and the U.S. government put up $100 million in more through, its, through BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research Development Agency. That Glax- GlaxoSmithKline Merck, and Crusell got incentivized to make the vaccine, which they did in record time to their credit. And uh, by the time the vaccine was ready to use in large-scale clinical testing, Ebola was gone, mm-hmm. and eleven, 11 and eleven, people, and eleven thousand yeah. people died. Right. So that was an absolute failure of the system, and we're we're looking at a similar failure now for Zika. Well, I would imagine,
0: uh, the, though, right, that that pregnant women frightened for their un- born children are a potential huge market for these drug companies to want to, uh, you know, sell a Zika vaccine for?
1: Maybe yes, or maybe no. Um, so we'll have to see. But I think the point is, the model of you know, standing around waiting for the big pharma companies to decide if there's a market or not—it it doesn't work. It doesn't apply to all of these neglected tropical diseases that are now coming out. So we we've decided to be more proactive than that, and uh, we've created a nonprofit product development partnership, uh, which is uh, based here at the Texas Medical Center, at Texas Children's Hospital, and and Baylor College of Medicine called the Sabin Vaccine Institute where we're now developing half a dozen vaccines for neglected tropical diseases that the big pharma companies don't have an interest in. And we're getting making progress. We've got two vaccines now in clinical trials for schistosomiasis and hookworm. and our, We're now advancing Leishmaniasis vaccines and Chagas disease vaccines. All the diseases you've never heard of, and mm. that, are, that are affecting. Oh, I've people heard of them throughout the world. Yeah, you've probably heard <laughs> yeah, of them, but yeah. many many people have. I also often call these neglected tropical diseases yeah. the most important diseases you've never heard of because, but they're very common. But they mostly affect voiceless people. But I'll
0: admit never having heard of of Zika. You know, and I, you know, I I I don't follow global health exclusively. It's like part of my remit, but I I had not heard of Zika until uh, this most recent outbreak.
1: Yeah. No. Well, certainly, it it had been a real problem in in the in Asia Pacific region now for the last decade, uh, but it was orphaned, so it's it wasn't really taken up uh, as it should have been.
0: Um. So earlier, as an aside, you uh, referenced um a challenge of disseminating scientific information for for public policy. W- what did you mean by that? I wanted to revisit that.
1: Well. So thanks for asking that question. Uh, so the point is, all of the information that we have on Zika now in the Americas, none of it is published in the biomedical literature. None of it is published in scientific journals. It's all coming around through uh, through word of mouth. It's all coming around through alerts being issued by the WHO or PAHO. It's coming. Uh, through conversations with journalists who are doing investigation, it's coming through the so- social media, through Twitter, uh, and it really says that uh, we just don't have haven't really figured out a way to get re- important public health and scientific information deployed rapidly. Uh, and uh, so and the part of the problem is the model for publishing journals was invented in Germany in the 1850s 1860s 19th century Germany and the model has more or less stayed the same over the last 200 years so we need I think a new mechanism for publishing science so this is something that we're exploring now uh, through Uh, Our journal PLUS Neglected Tropical Diseases, that stands for Public Library Science Neglected Mm -hmm. Tropical Diseases. So the whole public library science system of journals is looking at new concepts in publishing to really get information rapidly disseminated out there. We've created this PLUS Currents model where scientists can now put their information up on the, on the web now and not be penalized for trying to publish it later in a more conventional scientific Mm -hmm. journal. We think that's part of the answer, but we're looking for a more ambitious solution which we hope to, uh, uh have rolled out in the coming months.
0: And, and and what does that look like? Like there's um you can very quickly and rapidly uh put out a study that will get peer reviewed like instantaneously or near instantaneously. And
1: in, in plus currents and what what the what the other model will look like we're still waiting to still waiting to fine tune it, but something along those lines has to be done because just to rely on the current mech. I mean you can see all so you can just from our interview uh, today, you can see that so many of the questions I can say, well, this is what we think, but we don't really know. Uh, somebody may know that, but it's, but it's, it's sitting uh, waiting for a peer review uh, in a journal someplace and uh, not, not getting out in a timely manner.
0: Um, So you referenced uh, one lesson drawn from uh, Ebola about accelerating the development of of vaccines. Uh, I wonder um, if there's a a broader public health lesson you can draw from the uh, Ebola scare last year here in the United States. I mean, it seems to me that um, there is a chance of talking to you and and reading the warning from, from PAHO, the Pan American Health Organization that was released earlier this week, that you know Zika could really you know get a foothold in the United States this summer when when the the mosquitoes uh, could start spreading it and and moves farther north um you know up through the American South even you know as far north as like D.C. Philadelphia that area um and you know there could be like this this panic right um because there was this panic in the United States uh, around Ebola an unnecessary one one that I think we can talk about if you, if you want that sort of hindered the the, the global health response to the o- Ebola outbreak yeah. but what steps can be done to perhaps mitigate that panic or or how do you see the relationship between like public information and the epidemiology of the disease
1: well i think well it's what well, we're starting to realize now that epidemic infections or pandemics are not just a health issue they're also an economic issue, and they're even a global security issue. So, on the economic side, look at what Zika is going to do. It's going to decimate the it could decimate the economy of the Caribbean, which is so dependent on the tourist industry. Who goes to the Caribbean? Uh, you know, young couples that. Want to get pregnant, uh, or or don't want to get pregnant, right. but they're still going to the Caribbean, <laughs> right? And uh, and so that's going to to take a big, huge dent in the tourist industry. Uh, it's going to potentially devastate Haiti. Uh, and it's going to, and it's a global security issue as well. So, it uh, could cause widespread instability uh, in the United States. And the U.S. is not alone. We are now seeing a very interesting phenomenon happening in Southern Europe, where we've seen now the return of malaria in Greece after it's been away for 50, 60 years. We've seen the emergence of dengue in Portugal. We've seen West Nile and chikungunya virus in Spain, Italy, and France. We've seen schistosomiasis on the island of Corsica. So something very odd is happening in southern Europe, whether it's uh, diseases coming across the Mediterranean from North Africa and the Middle East. Uh, I think the ISIS conflict zones are, which cause so much uh, help breakdown in health systems. Infrastructure could be you know, breeding a lot of infections. So what we're seeing now, uh, maybe there's a component of climate change. So we're seeing a whole new set of forces that are promoting uh, widespread infectious diseases and they include the following. They include uh, one poverty, which I think probably trumps all. Second, conflict and post-conflict, which was a major factor uh, in the dissemination of Ebola in West Africa. I think third, climate change is very important. The Climate change, people will tell you that Southern Europe is getting hit by this. Uh, The Zika may be spreading in Brazil because of the fact that it's an El Nino year, uh, and that may have something to do with changes in temperature and rainfall. So it's Poverty, its conflict, its climate change, and then the fourth are human migrations, and all of these are accelerating at a very rapid pace uh, right now. And so we're looking uh, over the next decade or so. I think for we're in for a long haul of new uh, infectious, uh, new or old infectious epidemics that are 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 disseminating rapidly, and we're just not prepared. Uh, as uh, our planet's not prepared. First of all. We don't invest in global health. Uh, The entire budget of the WHO, the World Health Organization, is $3 billion, uh, which is less than half the budget of the entire CDC, or one-tenth of the budget of the NIH, so it's grossly underfunded uh, to do its mission. We have no infrastructure in place for making vaccines for these diseases, even though uh, the technologies there, the technology is outpaced our political, social, and financial instruments that we have for getting those technologies out there. So we've got to do some real searching to figure out what the solutions are.
0: Uh, well, Dr. Hertz, I'm, I'm glad at least we have you to help uh, guide us through these, these challenges and these questions in, in the Saban Institute and in your work at Baylor. So thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you all for listening. So uh, after I stopped recording the conversation with Dr. Hotez, he told me that he is working on a book due out sometime this spring, hopefully, uh, about neglected tropical diseases, specifically making the argument that there are more NPDs in the developed world these days than there actually are in the developing world. Uh, So when that book is out, he's going to come back on the show and we're going to have a longer conversation uh, about his life and his career and how he got into studying tropical diseases. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.